Good afternoon, everybody. Uh, I'm going to start uh, by giving an update on our cases here in Nova Scotia. Uh, the last briefing I was at was on uh, last Wednesday, August 26th. Since then, we've announced four new cases and two probable cases of COVID-19. So as of today, we have uh, six active cases of COVID-19 in the province. Our total numbers so far are 1,085 cases of COVID-19, with 76,935 uh, people who have been tested with negative results. And we have had, unfortunately, 65 deaths. Uh, the Nova Scotia Health Authority's lab completed 961 tests yesterday. Two of the cases uh, of, the, of our six uh, that were recently reported uh, were in the northern zone and were connected to previously reported uh, cases, uh, uh, close contacts of previous cases in that area. An additional uh, a case uh, was identified in Eastern Zone, and that individual, uh, it, it was related to travel outside of Atlantic Canada, uh, and the individual had been self-isolating as required uh, uh, since their entry into uh, Nova Scotia. The fourth individual was identified uh, in, in, in Western Zone, uh, and as was in, being reported publicly yesterday, the individual is a student at University of St. Anne, and appropriate public health measures have been, uh, uh, been put in place working with that uh, university. We also announced two probable cases of COVID-19 at two universities, one in Dalhousie and one uh, at Acadia and Wolfville. Uh, both students are from outside Atlantic Canada. They both live off campus and have been self-isolating as required. So let me talk a little bit about probable cases because uh, th those are new uh, to many folks and it's, it's certainly uh, something we an anticipated when we started uh, down the road of testing large numbers of students uh, without uh, symptoms. A probable case means that the test result was, uh, the lab calls it indeterminate, uh, which means that it's not uh, straw, it, it, we can't confidently say it's negative or positive, so it's it's somewhere in the middle, uh, and, it, it, and we fully expect that it, it, when you start testing a lot of people without symptoms, we know from experience uh, previously with COVID or with other diseases that we are going to get uh, start to get more and more of these indeterminate test results. There are a few reasons why a test result may be classified as indeterminate. If someone has previously had COVID-19, uh, they can. Still, many for weeks afterwards, even though their infection is cleared, they can still have some residual virus in their nose and throat, and we're picking that up with a test. It does not mean that they're still ill. It does not mean they're still infectious, but that that residual vir uh, uh, particles of virus DNA can still be picked up on the lab test, and you can give you an indeterminate result. It could also mean uh, that somebody has been tested very early on in their infection, and they may not have enough virus to to, to give you a full positive result. Uh, uh, so again, they could be indeterminate, but it's because they're very early on. Um, you can, we can also have issues around a cross-contamination uh, in the lab, potentially, or a cross-reaction from another vir viral infection that somebody has. So in each of these situations, when we have an indeterminate result, uh, the, 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 the uh, public health, local public health folks uh, working with the regional medical officers of health, we work closely with first and first the lab, and then with uh, with the individual who's been tested and any other physicians involved to look at their clinical symptoms to try to categorize uh, their, their indeterminate case. And ultimately, we're looking at a number of factors to say, is this somebody who is either an old case 
uh, and that we're just picking up well after the fact and we don't have to worry about that anymore? Is it a cross-reaction or cross-contamination that we, we, we have uh, just to be aware of more in the lab? Or is it one of these cases which is very early on in a new case? And if it's the latter, if we, if we consider this to be a new case, then we're going to treat it like uh, any other case of COVID-19, require isolation, do contact follow-up, et cetera. So I, I think it's important that we understand that people understand this this new category of test indeterminates and probables, but to be reassured that public health does the appropriate assessment in each and every case to make the right determination, and we will er always err on the side of caution of calling it a new case if we're not certain, and and then treating doing all the measures like we do with any other case of COVID-19. With both our probable cases uh, to date, uh, we used our expertise and we, we actually made the determination that there quite po possibly could be these very early on cases. And then we took all appropriate steps to isolate them, identify any contacts, et cetera. But fortunately, they both cases had been uh, following the self-isolation rules required for university students and there hasn't been any broader exposure. So again, we have now identified one positive case and two probable cases amongst our post-secondary students. That's good news because we are testing hundreds of them and we're, we, we fully expected to get some positives. We are get, we've gotten three so far. So that, that's a very low percentage of positives. So to me, that's a signal that, and it reinforces why having this testing strategy for post-secondary students coming from outside of Atlanta, Canada, uh, it was absolutely necessary. People need to understand that we were, because of this testing, we were, these three individuals, we were able to identify them quickly and, and manage these cases. Uh, but I think it was important that people, especially the post-secondary students, understand that uh, just because we have a testing strategy, that doesn't mean that they can disregard all the other public health measures. Um, uh, so we, in order to keep all our communities safe, that we need to continue to need all the students coming from outside of Atlantic Canada to complete their self-isolation, do their daily digital check-ins, and to follow up with their testing uh, protocols. Um, and if they do, we're reminding the importance of, of, of all students to be uh, isolating. If they're not share, sure of the rules, uh, isolate and ask questions and, and, and wait and stay isolated until you get the answers. So let me move on then to today's major topic, which is our public schools. Uh, last week, uh, I did talk about the public health measures that are being implemented in uh, schools across the province, uh, and then the fact that we have a back-to-school plan uh, that will allow us to strengthen public health measures uh, if necessary, if our COVID-19 activity uh, increases. Uh, we certainly have the ability to strengthen the public health measures and continue to have uh, safe spaces in our schools for teachers and students. There certainly continues to be a lot of uh, discussion, even some and concern, and even some criticism uh, about what will happen in schools if COVID-19 does occur. Uh, and I will I want to make the, the statement today, and as I made it before, I fully expect we will get cases of COVID-19 in a school. It doesn't mean that the plan has failed. Uh, it doesn't mean that there's a crisis. Uh, it, it simply means that, uh, that what we expected to happen has happened, and then we will respond appropriately. But I think there's a, when, people have an expectation that we're somehow going to have no COVID in schools, and that if there is COVID, that somehow there's been a big failure. That is, that is incorrect. We expect to get COVID. We have plans in place to manage it appropriately. 
So public health is well prepared uh, to uh, to uh, to deal with COVID. Uh, we we have uh, plans in place, and as I said uh, last week, uh, even though there are, this isn't a template or a cookie cutter approach, uh, we will take a very cautious and timely uh, response. Uh, and I'm going to lay out some of the framework that we will that we will take in more detail today. But ultimately, the the all the the, the detailed actions will be dictated by the specific circumstances that are occurring in any given school. Um, but let me share with you today some of the information about the key elements uh, that, uh, that staff, students, and parents can expect if we, in a response to COVID in schools. That response is, de is, is determined based on uh, answers to a few uh, key questions. So we'll be looking at information on uh, is the individual who has tested for COVID, are they a student, a staff member, or, or an essential visitor? Uh, is it a single case or are there other confirmed cases in, a, in the class or the school? What type of exposure or risk to other students, staff, and visitors has occurred in that school? Uh, where, did they, where did the case likely get infected? Um, a critical question is, with any case, you say, well, when would they have been contagious? When would they have been able to spread the virus to others? And then where were they in the school during that time? And what, they were, what were their activities while they were potentially infectious? One of those questions is important is, how do they get to school? Were they on a school bus? Uh, are they, do they participate in a, pre, in a before or after school program? So that's all the type of questions we use to, to get the detailed information to basically make a determination on who else might have been exposed uh, to this individual and then be at increased risk uh, for COVID-19. So we, we basically put people in three groups of exposures. So um, a student or a teacher uh, would be considered at higher risk if they were a close contact of a case. And a close contact is someone who has been in, in close, so within the six-foot distance, and prolonged a minimum of 15 minutes contact with a confirmed case. And we start with uh, the, the up to 48 hours before that confirmed case became symptoms. So starting with 48 hours before that case became sick, who were they in that? Uh, who were they in that close, prolonged contact with? And anybody who they were is then is then uh, put in uh, determined as a, a as a, a close contact of the case. So for students in cohorted groups in elementary and junior high, this is likely to include uh, all the students and staff within that classroom cohort. For for uh, higher grades, the students who are non-cohorted groups, uh, this may include all the students and staff in each of the classes that the case attended. Uh, we're also certainly going to look at anyone else who's been in close, prolonged contact with the case outside of their cohort, including uh, things like uh, uh, individuals who they're on a school bus with. Uh, if they were in other before or after school programs, family members, friends, other community activities. We consider someone to be at moderate risk if, they're, if they have not had prolonged contact and they have 
maintained that, that uh, minimum of two meter uh, a distance, um, but they may still have been in the same classroom uh, or the same uh, uh, program as, as the case. So for example, this would include if there are students and staff in a, in a, in a shared space like a classroom who, who are able to maintain that physical distance of two meters uh, at all times from the case. They, we would call them then a, a, a moderate risk of, 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 a, of, of a being exposed. And then finally, we have people who, are, who would be considered at lower risk if they've only had brief contact with a confirmed case. So this would mean anyone, for instance, who's only had incidental contact. So, so if, they, if the only exposure could have been they were walking past each other uh, through a hallway or another common area for a very brief interaction, uh, that really isn't a significant risk of being exposed. So if that's the only contact somebody had, they would then be put in that lower risk. Um, so as you can appreciate, it, 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 there's a lot of work for public health to say where has that person, the case been, what have they been doing, who else was in those spaces, and what were the type of interactions that happened. Uh, but that's the work that we do every day with uh, all types of other communicable diseases, uh, whether it's measles, whooping cough, et cetera. We, we do this on a regular basis in, in a school environment. But it's that assessment we would do. To, the, the first step is to say, are, are people a, a close contact, a moderate contact, or a low-risk uh, contact? Um, uh, and at this point in time, the, 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 the approach, the, the steps that we're going to take with both the, the, uh, the uh, higher risk and the moderate risk, we're going to take the same approach. We're going to err on the side of caution and treat moderate and higher risk the same. Uh, as we get more experience with this, we may be able to say that we don't have to be as cautious with moderate risk. We'll see what experience we get. But we're starting out, our, our, our premise is always to err on the side of caution. So the key components of our, of our response is that as we start to uh, do our investigation, once we identify these close contacts, we arrange testing uh, as quickly as possible for, for all of those individuals. And then anybody who's deemed to be a close contact and is tested is required to isolate at home while they're waiting for the test results. If their results are negative, then they will need to continue and complete their 14-day isolation period because they have increased risk of being exposed, they have to stay isolated for that full 14-day incubation period before they can, can, can come back to school. Individuals who test positive uh, are now themselves a case, and then, then we, it creates a, uh, uh, they then have to isolate because they're a case, and then they generate their own circle of contacts that public health will then investigate. I think it's important that parents understand that there's a possibility that any of their children in school or teachers, for example, themselves, anybody in a school environment could be in a position where they uh, have to be isolated at home for 14 days uh, before they get a test and if they test negative, continuing the rest of that 14 days. So teachers and parents and students should now be thinking about uh, having a plan uh, in the possibility that he may be at home for 14 days uh, and, and, and how that's going to be managed at home and keeping people isolated as much as possible at home. Isolation means they're not to be out and about in the community. They basically have, they have to be staying at home and keeping isolated as much as possible even within, within the home environment. 
public health, we, we throughout that 14 days, we, we keep in close contact uh, with, with, with those individuals uh, and monitor, uh, monitor them in case they do become sick uh, and, and need further medical uh, or, and then, then convert from, from a case or sorry, from a contact into, into a case. Um, the other piece of this is important that once we, a key piece of our immediate response in a school, if there's a case, uh, will be communication to families uh, and to teachers uh, within that school uh, about the situation that's going on uh, and what the information they need to be aware of and what steps, how they need to be monitoring their health and what, if any other steps they need to be taking. So communication with, within the school uh, and, with, and for families who uh, associate with the school is an important priority for part of our public health response uh, as well. If a student gets, becomes unwell or develops new health symptoms while they're at school, we certainly have plans in place that uh, teachers uh, and administration to recognize that as early as possible, uh, isolate the, the, the student away from the rest of the school as quickly as possible, m keep them monitored, and then to contact with, uh, with uh, family members, caregiver parents or caregivers, to have them taken home as quickly as possible. It then becomes the responsibility of the of the family, the parents or caregivers, to then continue to uh, to uh, then follow up with 811, do, doing our, our message for everybody is, is, is that uh, whether themselves or their child becomes unwell or develops new health symptoms, the first you know, step is to isolate. The second step is to do the 811 online assessment. Uh, and if you don't have internet access, calling 811 and get further direction around the need for testing based on uh, from the advice from, from 811. Um, uh, and that's, that, that, uh, that's a critically important that people understand that. Uh, today's about schools, but that message is for everybody. If you're unwell, you should be at, get, uh, stay at home or get home as quickly as possible. Do the 811 assessment. Keeping people who might have COVID away from others, isolated at home until we get an assessment and get them tested as, ne as necessary is a critically important part of how we prevent the spread of COVID in our schools and in our communities. I certainly hope we won't have to close a school, uh, but we need to be realistic and we're certainly prepared to do that uh, if, what is if that's what is required based on the public health assessment in discussion with the school administration. Our first, uh, our foremost priority is to keep students and staff and, our, and, and, and our other people in the schools as safe as possible. That uh, I need to emphasize that a school will only close due to COVID-19 uh, reasons based on the advice and the recommendation from public health. And that would be uh, we'd close down a whole school only if we felt that there was increased risk to all staff and students. It's much more likely that we're going to be in a situation where we're closing down uh, a classroom because there's a, a case uh, within, a, uh, within a cohort within that classroom. But we are prepared if necessary. We would take the step uh, if necessary to close down a full school. We hope we won't get there, but we are prepared to do that. And let me talk a little bit about immunocompromised students and teachers because we're getting a lot of questions on them as well. I certainly know that parents who have immunocompromised children and teachers who themselves may be immunocompromised have even more concerns about this school year, and I understand uh, where those concerns are coming from. But there are processes in place uh, to, deal, to deal with that. 
Um, certainly, there's well-established pr uh, processes for teachers uh, through their human resources uh, and the education system uh, that are in, in place uh, through the regional centers for education. The IWK uh, Pediatric Advisory Group has been providing direction about who qualifies as immunocompromised. I mean, there are a lot of people who feel they're immunocompromised, but there are very specific medical criteria to who is truly immunocompromised. So it's important that uh, we have, that people have the are given the right guidance to make an assessment of whether they truly are immunocompromised and therefore at greater risk for COVID-19 versus uh, versus uh, a feeling that they might be immunocompromised, but really that is not that not there's no there's no medical medical, uh, uh, I guess, uh, um, uh, facts behind that to really say that they are immunocompromised. So there are specific guidance uh, uh, available uh, that has been made available through the education system for, for families. It's available for physicians to make that determination of a child whether they truly are immunocompromised. Many of these children are already well known to the education system and there's a well-established process uh, in place uh, for immunocompromised maintaining the safety of immunocompromised children in the school system uh, and how, what actions may need to be taken if there's a range of infectious diseases because often it's an infectious disease whether it's uh, a measles outbreak in a school whether it's COVID-19 that puts that immunocompromised child at increased risk so at the end of the day we, we would encourage parents who if their child is immunocompromised is to have the conversation with their with their physicians uh, and and continue to work with the school system to to have uh, specific plans for the individual child uh, and as I said the PD, the IWK is supporting the education system around those detailed issues around specific uh, children um, and if, if your child is immunocompromised and does need to stay at home I've certainly been uh, uh, confirmed to me by Minister Churchill and others in, in the Department of Education that there are processes in place uh, for those children's learning to continue to be supported um, I also know that there are teachers, staff, and students who live with immunocompromised adults, and that also creates worry. Uh, and certainly no one wants to transmit COVID to a loved one, um, uh, especially somebody who is at higher risk of complications from the virus. And that I come back to, that's, a, that's why it's important that all of us continue to practice uh, public health measures, whether we're in schools, whether we're other workplaces, whether we're out in the community. It's critically important that we all practice our public health measures of, of keeping physically distanced where possible, wearing masks, hand washing, uh, and, 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 and minimizing the chance of any of us taking uh, an infectious disease back in, into our homes. So this will be a school year uh, like like uh, one we haven't uh, seen before. Uh, that's that's certainly uh, true. COVID is creating change in, in in every part of our society and communities. But I'm certainly uh, continue to maintain that the best way to protect our schools and everybody in them is to keep community transmission low. That's our focus. We have a very low level of COVID activity in the province. We need to continue to maintain that low level of activity. And how we do that is things like we're doing with university students, the quarantining and the testing, minimizing the chance of introduction of COVID into, into Nova Scotia. 
as well as all Nova Scotians continuing to follow the public health directives on physical distancing, gathering numbers and masking and practicing good hygiene like hand washing and regular cleaning of, of, of common surfaces. If we all do that well, we will keep COVID at a very low level and we will continue to have uh, uh, the ability to have very safe educational environments, whether it's the public schools or our universities. But we have to remember and uh, that hopefully people have been reassured today that if COVID-19 is identified, public health is positioned to act quickly to identify and test anyone who may be a close contact and to minimize the opportunity for COVID to spread further uh, within that school. I just want to take a minute to talk to parents and, 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 and uh, to ask them if they haven't already done so. Before we get to Tuesday in school, it's important that you talk to your children. Help them understand what will be expected of them at school. Things will be different. Mask wearing is one example. Talk to them about any fears they may have. It's perfectly, and help them understand that it's normal to be fearful, normal to be anxious, uh, that, that this is a very different situation. So those feelings they have are actually normal. Help them appreciate that those are normal. But then we need to work with them to give them some tools about how they deal with that and, and very often giving a sense of control by teaching them about how to wear a mask properly. Focusing on, on how do they making sure they know how to, the, the, the importance of the frequency and how to wash their hands properly. Giving, helping them understand the importance of physical distancing. Uh, those are all things that gives them control and helps them manage their fear and uh, their natural and normal fear and anxiety. One of the, again, I emphasize my message that it's critically important that families understand that if a child is feeling unwell or develops new health symptoms, they should not go to school. They should stay home and then an 811 online assessment should be done. Um, that's critically important that we keep kids who may have COVID out of our schools. It's all these steps together uh, that everybody working together to keep our communities uh, COVID safe. We will also keep our students uh, in school uh, learning and socializing.